third Friday of the month. And that, of course, means that you're just in time for that show about film and television trivia. So if uh, you can hear the sound of my voice, please let me know. Let us know if you can hear us. Let us know. Let us know. Let it snow. Let us know. Ah, let us. Yeah. <laughs> let us entertain you. Let me be the one. Boom, 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 boom. Promise you folks, we won't really be singing through the whole thing. No. I mean, I can't help it if Gertie belts something out, but she's been practicing for church, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, now, I didn't say that they let her sing in church. She's just been practicing for church. Right. <laughs> or whatever, whatever church is to her, we're not sure. Uh, yeah, I hear it's the corner of the craft store. Um. <laughs> as long as it's not the corner of the crack store. That's all oh, I, I hear they did have to confiscate her flask the last time. <laughs> she always carries several. We are live on YouTube. Let's see. What was I watching recently that involved a flask? It was... Oh, yes. I was watching an 8 is Enough episode of 8 is Enough. And, you know, the uh, the family doctor that's the friend of the family, he was attending a poker game at their house. And uh, he carries a flask uh, for appearances. But in the flask, he carries cough medicine. <laughs> I, I think nowadays, though, folks have uh, found other ways to use cough medicine, though. All right. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and do this. This evening, we're taking a trip back to a time when yours truly was not quite knee high to a grasshopper and probably couldn't change the channel because the cable box was way up top there. But uh, that was certainly one about I caught wind of this film. Please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Good evening. Hello, Mr. Smelly. It's good to see you. You came right in at the right time here tonight. Yeah, yeah, I was a little late to Spud's Flats, uh, but uh, it was my parents, don't you know? They were having some sort of drama. So. Oh, I was going to say, we don't have valet parking, so don't trust Gertie's nephew with your keys. Okay, no problem. <laughs> Anyways, it's great to be here on this Friday night. It is, and it's nice to know that, at least for now, the sun's not trying to kill us. I do believe that it was about 80 today, and I was parked in the shade, so I was able to, you know, sit in my car with the windows cracked and enjoy a cool little breeze. But, you know, tomorrow it's back to the grind, and by that, I mean... Uh, the duties of home ownership. I, I've probably got to mow the yard. <laughs> oh, yeah. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. You know, um, I can't believe that we're already this far into the summer. Shortly, it's going to be August. And, uh, well, we're going to have our season finale, Toppy. Um, but, of course, we'll have to, to save the excitement to the end because we don't want to give away everything. Right. So, uh, speaking of giving away things, um, you know, I hear that Gertie caught the bouquet at the wedding she went to last weekend. Isn't that right, Miss Thing? Uh-huh. Oh, you heard about that, did you? Uh-huh. Yeah, I got to press between the pages of the Bible right now to preserve it, don't you know? Anyways, yeah. Hmm. Well, I hope that... Um, the cake that's at the uh, the uh, refreshment bar there uh, 
is fresher than last weekend, but uh, you know, if it's got no, it's it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I had a feeling, but hey, who am I to turn down free desserts? Uh, certainly, my scale wouldn't argue with that. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. but, um, if you would, could you get downstairs so the folks will know what we're talking about tonight? All right, hop to it. <laughs> That's me. There she goes. Howard is an average Joe wandering through life and trying different hats. Just when things seemed a little too predictable, he's ripped from his living room and thrown across the galaxy and into the arms of a beautiful, aspiring musician. Only, she's a different species! Before long, Howard finds the way home, but not before evil threatens to invade the Earth. Will our feathered friend get in touch with his folks? Will Beverly get her band's money? Will the laser telescope spell the end of our world? Grab a guitar and an umbrella. It's Cleveland after all. It's time for Howard the Duck, starring Leah Thompson and Tim Robbins. Take it away, fellas. What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, you know, DJ and Tom. You while listening to this as a podcast, be sure to go over there to YouTube where we do this live uh, twice a month. Tonight, I'm joining you from this fabulous 80s loft apartment. And if you haven't seen tonight's film, oh boy, do you need to, because this has the loft apartment of every 80s nostalgia types dreams. So, yeah, before that's when it would have been affordable because that's what they started out as um, spaces no one else would take. And artists would grab them up because they were cheap. Now, of course, uh, they're a zillion dollars uh, a minute, uh, a month, and nobody can afford nothing. Mm. But that's, uh, well, actually, this is Cleveland. (laughs) I'm thinking Uh New York City. Well, we were Uh. actually just talking behind the curtain before the show, and we said that if uh, Beverly's apartment we're actually in New York. It would be at least three times the rent. But anyways, this is the 80s, Toppy. Yeah, that's right. Actually, 1986 to be specific, and we like to set the stage. So, DJ, what was going on in U.S. history in 1986? Ooh, 1986. I was just a little tight. The Space Shuttle Columbia launched with the first Hispanic-American astronaut, Dr. Franklin Chang Diaz. And after waiting 37 years, the U.S. Senate approves a treaty outlawing genocide. Hmm, How nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess they were waiting for their number two pencils to arrive. Yeah, waiting 37 years to push that one forward. Boy, I'm telling you, phew. The bar, we sure do get our work done, don't we? The bar was pretty high, and, well, we can ask Gertie about the bar later. Um, the U.S. Senate also allows its debates to be televised on a trial basis. So, okay, we took a long time, and now we got to, you know, um, watch the watchers. A major fire at the Los Angeles Public Library caused by arson destroys 400,000 volumes so you know that famous scene from twilight zone i think it was where the guy um loses his eyesight in the library because it's his dream to be in alone in the biggest library yeah it's akin to that they lost uh, almost half a million volumes in 86 uh so wonder i mean don't ask about the 1920 census that was gone to a fire too ha! The, uh, I'm sorry, not 1920, 1890. Um, no, wait, okay. Anyways, 
Look it up. There was a Anyhowson. Yeah. The Statue of Liberty was reopened to the public after an extensive refurbishing. They shined up the crown. The uh, Oprah Winfrey Show debuted nationally in 86. And the centennial of the Statue of Liberty is celebrated that same year. Also, after 35 years on the airwaves and holding the title of the longest-running non-news program on network television, NBC, the Peacock, aired the final episode of daytime drama, Search for Tomorrow. Yeah, they all died at the end, and there was no tomorrow. (laughs) Or (laughs) after. Right. (laughs) So let me lay some celebrity births on you. These people were all born in 1986. Lady Gaga and uh, Amanda Bynes. Bynes? Bynes, okay. Megan Fox, Shia LaBeouf, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, those two little dolls, Drake Bell, Lindsay Lohan. She's a mom now, you know. Well, it's, yeah, it's many years <laughs> later. Brianna Evagon, 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 never heard of her. Uh, daughter of BJ and the Bear. Okay, why not? And uh, my two dads. Uh, so there you go. Uh, all those people were born in 86, and they're still with us. Mm. So, Toppy, um, the program we're discussing tonight is a film. It was released to theaters. It was seen on the silver screen. It was actually a summer release. So, you know, it's one of those action-adventure blockbuster summer things. You know, you you might have gone on a date to see this. And, uh, well, uh, Howard the Duck, it was released on August 1st in 86. Now, uh it uh, wasn't at the top, of course, because we love the underdog here. It brought in 16.2 million, so it it, uh, it at least paid a little more than uh, Leah Thompson's hair uh, cost. Yeah, uh, i.e., it was a flop. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that too in a little bit here. So. The top films that year in 86 included uh, Mr. Tommy Cruise's, uh, you know, maybe uh, third or fourth film out of the gun there. Top Gun was number one. It brought in $176 million and uh, kept Mr. Cruise in his tidy whities for a while there. Uh, number two at the box office is a uh, film with Mr. Paul Hogan from the land down under there, Crocodile Dundee brought in $174 million. And a sequel in that uh, top rung there, number three, was uh, future right-wing nut job Mr. Ralph Macchio in The Karate Kid Part 2. Now, to put things into perspective, uh, the film that did one better than Howard the Duck, now, technically... The one who did one better was a re-release, so I'm not going to count it. But just to give you an idea, it was a re-release of Song of the South, and that movie is banned. (laughs) (laughs) Canceled. Yeah, so the the film that was uh, one better than Howard the Duck at number 55 brought in 17.7 million, and this was a film with Chuck Norris. The Delta Force. So, you know, some poor women out there got dragged to this movie because their boyfriend wanted to see Chuck Norris on the big screen. Okay. And um, one less than Howard the Duck that year in 86 was a film with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Darren McGavin, of all people. I don't know how they got those two together. Uh, there, There must have been a fender bender and they just hashed it out with their insurance but uh, that brought in 16.2 million and it was called raw deal now if i was darren mcgavin i would be calling my agent to say you put me in a movie with who you gave me a raw deal uh-huh. uh, i have no memory of that it must have been a comedy it or, must have been uh, i mean you know practically a tv movie but they say it went to the silver screen okay well, let's talk about the director. You're not going to believe his name, folks. <laughs> uh, the director of Howard the Duck was Willard Hyuk. <laughs> H-Y-U-C-K. Yuck, 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 yuck. Yuck. Willard 
Hyuk directed Howard the Duck. Uh, he was born in 1945, and uh, he's been married for a very, very long time to this day to his wife, Gloria Katz. They are partners, and they worked together on most everything they ever did and contributed to Hollywood. And uh, William Hyuk, Willard Hyuk is best known for his association with George Lucas. Uh, George Lucas is uh, the head of this whole shebang, believe it or not. And uh, uh, Hyuk, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to say that with a straight face. Hyuk and Lucas met as students at the USC School of Cinematic Arts. And they became together members of Francis Ford Coppola's American Zeotrope group of filmmakers. These were all very young entrepreneurial type filmmakers, and uh, they were they were just like minded and they would critique each other's movies. And it was a close knit bunch of people. And uh, uh, so anyways, Huck, along with his wife, Gloria wrote screenplays for films including American Graffiti, Lucky Lady, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Radioland Murders. And Hyuk also directed some movies. Okay, by some I just mean four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, uh, he directed uh, along uh, and also co-wrote uh, all these things with his wife, Gloria. Uh, he uh, directed Messiah of Evil, French Postcards, Best Defense, and our movie tonight, Howard the Duck. And uh, there was some stuff they did on TV as well, uh, but uh, I did not find a hell of a lot of credits uh, for these folks. So, uh, so that's about all I can tell you about Hilliard Hillock. You know... Um... Just to the testimony of the uh, the camp and cult following of this film, when it came out, um, there were expectations because, of course, George Lucas's name was attached. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, of course, um, well, I mean, that's that's how it got made mm-hmm. right there. That's how it got made. And, uh, well, it turns out that Mr. Hyuk. Uh, d- didn't make movies again after Howard the Duck. Whoopsie. <laughs> um, now, uh, you know, just to bring it back to the name too, I noticed that his wife didn't take his name, or at least yeah. not professionally. Yeah, I wonder why. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Gloria Hook. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Anyways. Oh. Oh goodness! Why don't we do we have a do we have a, a a trailer? I don't, but I could find one real quick here. Oh, do well, that as I'm speaking. Know. All right, so let's see here. I'm just gonna typey typey. All right, as you're doing that, I'll just tell uh-huh. folks uh, that uh, we're gonna talk about this more later. But uh, the guy that played the voice of Howard the Duck, his name is Jerome Herbert Chip Zine. Um, he's an American actor. He was born in 47. He, he's got one of them faces. He's a character actor. And he was in, he's was he been in a million things on TV and in little parts in movies. And he has an extensive uh, career in the theater. Um, just for example, he played Monsieur Fernandez. <laughs> Help me, I'm speaking, speaking French. <laughs> in the uh, Broadway production of Les Miserables. And uh, in the film United 93, he played uh, Mark Rothenberg. Anyways, you'll probably recognize his voice. I thought, frankly, I was hearing Richard Dreyfus, hmm. But Richard Dreyfus is not associated in any way with this movie. But I could have sworn that's who was doing the voice of Howard the Duck. And in fact, might have been a better movie. If Richard Dreyfus was doing his voice at any rate, did you find I did? And, you know, I, I I think I know why Richard Dreyfus wasn't involved with this film, because he was still busy washing the mashed potatoes off of his hands from close encounters. Oh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right. Here we go with a trailer. 
Across the sea of stars lies another world, a world almost exactly like ours. This is where he lives. He's 27 years old, single but searching. Favorite sports, windsurfing and Aikido. Favorite pastimes, cigars and sex. He has everything except fulfillment. And then one night, it happens. Hey, good buddy, are you He has a very sudden midlife crisis. He lands in Cleveland. Do you know why you were sent to me? Listen to me, small visitor. I can explain how you got here. Maybe you're here for some greater purpose, some cosmic cause. Here, he's forced to reassess his career goals. You went to med school? To explore new relationships. <laughs> to redefine his self-image. I'm sorry, we don't allow pets on the premises. To adjust to a changing lifestyle. <laughs> Until he discovers just who he really is. Oh, no. A duck in big trouble. That's a duck, man. Howard the Duck. Trapped in a world he never made. Oh. Oh, we had it wrong. It's hike not yuck. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> what 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 happened? I I missed it. it I, couldn't, the, I couldn't hear that. The the director is hike. Like oh, that ruins everything, DJ. I know. It ruins everything. But I, bet, I don't care. I'm gonna still keep calling him yuck. I mean, I'm sure that the poor guy probably allowed his name to be misspelled just to avoid the jokes. Uh, uh, we we've been joined by some people in the chat room because we do this live. But anyways, Matt Burlingame from Chubb's Gone Wild and the Big Gay Sex Show, he said he loved this movie and he watched it like twenty plus times, and he bought the VHS tape. So there. Oh yes, this is a favorite of mine as well. Um. You know, back in the day, uh, I'm sure that I probably copied a few things off of television because, you know, movies were expensive on VHS. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, sure. I bet Howard the Duck was a mainstay on late night television for a few years. Oh, I'm sure. I probably caught it once or twice either hosted by Rhonda Shear or Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, possibly, yeah. <laughs> well, why don't we talk about the cast? Um, let's start out with Leah Thompson, DJ. Oh, I will most certainly. You know, if I had been only a little older when this movie came out, I probably might have had my first crush watching her because, well, she emulated some of my favorite pop artists at the time. And, you know, she was in uh, most of the films that I was seeing. Um, we uh, may eventually get to talking about a little film she did around this time in the 80s called Space Camp. And uh, for oh, yeah. time... That was actually one of the things that I wanted to be. Other kids, you know, you ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a fireman or a policeman. No, I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, but, of course, then I found out you have to pass a, a test uh, uh, that um, involves um, spinning around at 50,000. Spinning around <laughs> and uh, things that might be claustrophobic. Anyways. Uh. Leah Thompson played the lead lady in this film. Her name was Beverly, like the hills. And uh, Leah Thompson was born in good old Minnesota. She was the youngest of five and spent her early years living in a motel before the family uh. moved to the bigger city and her mom remarried. Well, oh, she was with her family. I envisioned her there by herself in a hotel. <laughs> oh, yes. Leah Thompson's life was the um, inspiration for Punky Brewster. Um, <laughs> but yes, her mom remarried. And, you know, if I had to live in a motel, I'd probably remarry, too. Huh? Um, ever since Leah was little, she loved to dance. Ballet, to be exact. And she would practice three to four hours every day. Her first role was as a mouse in the Nutcracker. Uh, you know what this means? Mm. She has malformed toes now. Oh, probably. And you know, <laughs> May have she may have chain smoked too to maintain her figure. 
Um, and after Leah turned, it hasn't worked for me, but go ahead. <laughs> after Leah turned 14, well, you got to start stealing from those tweens. Um, she had, I, I hear that they've switched to vaping though. She had uh, performed in more than 45 ballets on stage by the time wow. she turned 14, such as the Minnesota Dance Theater, the Pennsylvania Ballet Company, and the Ballet Repertory. She won scholarships to the American Ballet Theater and the San Francisco Ballet. Now, get this, folks. At age 19, she auditioned for Mikhail Baryshnikov, okay? That Russian ballet dancer that is legendary. Well, he crushed her dreams because he told her that she was a beautiful dancer, but too stocky. Talk Mm. about body shaming nice job barishnikov right but i mean it worked out we got a, a banging mom and back to the future no pun intended uh, right. leah knew her dreams had been crushed at that point she decided to turn to acting and she began working as a waitress as one does also making 22 <laughs> burger king commercials so you can find her on the youtubes <laughs> as a young lady and, 22 yeah. holy cow and she did some commercials for Twix bars. Well, yeah, that's different. She was perfect for these parts simply because she was the average girl down the street from the Midwest, don't you know? Yeah, uh, I can see that. Yeah, her first role was in the movie Get This Toppy, one of your uh, cult classic favorites, Jaws 3D from E3. She was a water ski bunny, and although she couldn't swim or ski, and she still can't, huh. um, there she met Dennis Quaid. Well, okay, at least it wasn't his cuckoo brother, who became her fiance and oh. acting coach. Now, oh. next role was... I'm in- not sure that was wise. No, no, wait, this is Dennis. He's okay. Yeah, but, you know, that was the early days. Her next role was in All the Right Moves in 83 where she acted opposite Tom Cruise. And uh, director Michael Chapman was so disappointed. Oh, no! Yeah, that he almost fired her. But between 83 and 84, Leah appeared in other teen movies. Um, I I have to wonder if they were thinking after school specials when they wrote that. But uh, Red Dawn in 84, The Wild Life. Um, This was um, a movie... Um, about this new cleaning product uh, that overtook Blue Dawn <laughs> and had more suds, but they were radioactive and killed everybody. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um. So she was also in a film called Going Undercover, and I swear this is not an adult film, but it was made in 85, and uh, believes it was lucky that in these movies they are able to use anyone who could just walk and talk. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. She maybe she didn't have to audition. But anyways, Howard the Duck was Leah Thompson's eighth film. So, you know, more than five, eight. And just before she would appear in Going Undercover in 85, which, by the way, folks, starred Jack Lemon's son, Chris Lemon, and Gene Simmons. Not not the the guy from Kiss, but Gene Simmons, the soap opera actor. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the exercise guru. No, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, Meggings. Um, and after Some Kind of Wonderful, which was a film she did in 86, which, by the way, folks, she started in with Eric Stoltz, who was the original choice for Marty McFly in Back to the Future. And uh, this was also one of the early films for the career of Mary Stuart Masterson's, who a lot of you will know from things like Fried Green Tomatoes later on. Um, During this time, she would also meet Leo Thompson, would meet her future husband, director Howard, and I'm going to say Deutsch. And uh, over the next five years, she would appear in four films, including Casual Sex in 88 with Victoria Jackson who was a staple of the 80s and appeared in uh, such films as UHF as Weird Al's wife on screen. Oh, well. And also, Drew Dice Clay was in this film. And, of course, as everyone knows, Leah Thompson was also in Back to the Future Part 2 in 89. So that's that five-year span from Howard the Duck. In more recent <laughs> years, Thompson has focused on her career as a director and producer, having worked on season two of Star Trek Picard 
And currently, Leah Thompson is appearing in the Canadian series Spencer Sisters. She plays the mystery novelist mother to the police officer lead. And she's also appeared in the 2018 update to Little Women, playing the uh, the role previously done by Susan Sarandon in the 90s remake, Marmy. All right. Today, Leah Thompson has 110 acting credits. That's that's respectable. Mm-hmm. All righty. So here we are at about the halfway mark in our show. Gertie is shaking up her cocktail shaker here and uh well we're gonna have some cherry bombs uh <laughs> snow and light of night show and uh here for your listening enjoyment is an interview with leah thompson from tonight's film uh, with dallas morning uh, new, uh news personality favorite bobby Wyatt. i like to call her texas tammy here we go Goodness, you've been very, very busy since then. You're one of the busiest young actresses I know, <laughs> uh, just going from one to the other, as it were. And now Howard the Duck, which is such fun. Oh. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was as enjoyable for you to make as it is for us to look at it. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, I, I really did have a great time making it. I had a, a great time with the people and uh, and with the music, you know. And, learning how to sing and doing all that. I really did have, it was very creative and exciting. How did you feel or what was your first reaction when you found out they wanted you to do this role and that she was a pop singer? Well, that was exciting. That was a big dream of mine all my life. I mean, I think everybody kind of wants to to try that somehow. And um, I, I always wanted to kind of explore that part of, of myself because I, I knew I could sing, you know, carry a tune. But, so I was really excited. That was a big attraction to the movie. But then when you had to do it, was it a little bit scary at first? Yeah, it was, it was uh, frightening because, just because I don't have the background, you know, to know exactly what I'm doing. But Thomas Dolby, who wrote and produced all the music and played on it, and sang too sometimes, he, uh, he really helped me. He kind of like held my hand through the whole process and and really wrote the songs kind of with me in mind and he was in very he was very nurturing and, and kind about it you know so he helped me a lot and and, and I had a great time when you had to do scenes early uh, when you were just starting the film with Howard the Duck did that take some getting used to <laughs> it did kind of I mean he's he's three feet tall that's an interesting thing, and it is. It was difficult. I thought maybe nobody would ever take me seriously again after I had a love scene with a duck, you know. <laughs> it, it did take a lot, but once I did, I really had a good time working with him. I got a lot of neat ideas, and he was actually a pretty good actor to work with. I, I'm glad you brought up the love scene because um, I kept thinking, now, if I were in Leah's place at this moment, I would How did you know what to do and how to feel and how to react? Well, I just, I figured from the very beginning that it was my job to to show the, the audience Howard and make it, the audience believe in Howard, you know what I mean, through my eyes. And so I, I just committed, you know, completely. I mean, I think I felt more foolish like when I had to cry over him and, and you know, say goodbye to him. I really felt kind of kind of stupid. but. When we're doing a comedy, that's what it's all about, you know. It's all about um, making believe, and, and, you know, a lot of times we had to pretend we were seeing things that weren't there, you know, like the big monsters and stuff in the end of the movie. And uh, it's just part of the game, you know. And we were all in it together, so we had to commit, you know. You've had some experience doing that before, surely in space camp, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. And we are... Bad. All right. So, Toppy, of course, as we know, there is just a boatload of talent that comes together to make a film like Howard the Duck. And I just talked to you about uh, the leading lady who is played by Leah Thompson. Who plays her nerdy boyfriend in this film? That would be Tim Robbins. Full name, Timothy Francis Robbins born in 58 
I never would have recognized him. I don't know if it's because he's so damn young or anyways, he just doesn't look like Tim Robbins the way I remember him from, say, maybe Shawshank, Shawshank <laughs> Redemption. Yuck, yuck. Uh, no, never would have recognized him. But there he is playing Phil, uh, the nerdy scientist type uh, guy who kind of brings more trouble than he's worth, to be honest. Uh, he is, a, a Robbins is an American actor and filmmaker. He's had quite a career. Uh, and uh, he was born in West Covina, Covina, California. But he was raised in good old New York City. And his parents were musicians and singers and in the arts and a sponsor. Father was also the manager of the Gaslight Cafe, kind of a thriving business there in New York City. Um, They uh, moved to Greenwich Village uh, at a young age. And Robbins started performing in theater at age 12 when he joined the drama club at Stuyvesant. Stuyvesant. Stuyvesant High School, class of 76. Uh, He then spent two years at SUNY Plattsburgh. Yay, SUNY schools. And then returned to California to study at UCLA Big Time Film School, where he graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in drama in 1981. And he began his career in the theater in New York City, where he spent his teenage years in their annual summer street theater projects. But his first TV gig was in 1982, uh, appearing as a domestic terrorist in three episodes of St. Elsewhere, a beloved television series at that time. And in 1985, he guest starred uh, on a second season episode of the TV series Moonlighting which was just a zany, fun television series. Uh, And uh, I I used to love it. Anyways, uh, he did take some parts in films. He got a role in Fraternity Vacation in 85. Uh, He was in Top Gun, believe it or not, in 86. Don't know who he played. But his first breakthrough role was his pitcher, Abby Calvin Nucleus in the baseball film. Paul Durham in 1988, in which he co-starred with Susan Sarander, with whom they laid together in bed and procreated two children. Never got married. Uh, also, also, if you remember, the big star of Paul Durham was Kevin Costner in his um, likable days. I don't know. Hmm. He just sort of fell out of favor. Sometime later, I guess when he did that ocean movie. Oh, Waterworld. Waterworld, which I liked. Whatever. Uh, In 1990. okay, so now uh, uh, he's made his big breakthrough and he's he just was on a roll after that. In 92, Robbins won a Golden Globe as best actor and best act and and a best actor award at Cannes for the movie. The player. But probably what people best know him for and love him for is for portraying Andy DeFriends, DeFresny, Andy DeFresny, right? In the film The Shawshank Redemption in 94. But that wasn't the end of his success because later he won a Best Supporting Actor Academy Award. And a Golden Globe again for his role in Mystic River. That was 2003. And uh, he did direct a couple of movies. Uh, and uh, they were well received. And he was much acclaimed for his direction. He did in 1992. He did Bob Roberts. And in 1995 with his honey, Susan Sarandon starring. Dead Men Walking, and he got an Academy Award nomination for directing that. So that's a Tim Robbins, and I know he's doing something today. I mean, he's got to be busy, but I couldn't find a damn thing about what he's 
I mean, if anybody knows what he's doing currently, I don't know. He's kind of been like you just don't see him anymore. But I'm sure he's busy with something. I was going to say paying child support to Susan Sarandon, but I think he missed out on that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was going to talk about the guy who plays the the lab type in this movie who turns or uh, is inhabited by the... uh, alien being but it turns out um he's a a rather loathsome character in real life um i'm sad to say that he is a western new york native and uh jeffrey jones is the sort of person that um well if you have children you shouldn't be living near because um there have been charges and uh i'm not talking about the kind like uh mr jello pudding pop i'm talking about the kind uh where where people aren't of the age of consent and uh yeah not even the catholic church is going to touch that so right um and i i just talked about the guy who did the voice chip zine or zian um and uh as i said he was a character actor he's been in a million things and he sounds just like richard dreyfus in my opinion uh, but I don't think I mentioned that the person who was originally going to do Howard was Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, he started work and I guess just had a devil of a time because he was probably high on coke. Uh, just just dubbing or trying to work with that very inflexible duck bill that was part of the costume. And it was inflexible. And he said, I, I can't. I can't dub these lines in. I don't know what the hell that Bill's doing. And he just got frustrated and and quit, basically. And so in a big damn hurry, (laughs) they got Chip Zian to step in and do the voice. So that's the story behind that. I had no idea uh, Robin Williams was associated with this movie at any time. You know, nowadays it would be so much easier, though, because they would have just animated the mouth. And they could have done the, oh. any, any voice actor. Just they would have, you know, created the character around them. Well, um, that's. I, I mean, they learned that. They learned a lot. Uh, you know, we can we can especially look at Robin Williams in. Uh, well, he played the genie. Oh yeah, um, Aladdin. Aladdin, and and you know, see how perhaps. It could have gone a very different way if if uh, if they'd maybe just I don't know what they would have had to do not have him sit there and try to to uh, dub lines to a duck bill, but of course today I mean it would be a completely different thing. Uh, back then, this is way before CGI, and uh, they used uh, puppetry and uh, they used techniques that were. Uh, uh, being used in movies all the time where they had hydraulic pumps moving eyebrows and eyes and it was all attached to finger triggers uh, from someone off stage uh usually two or three people they each would be in charge of something right they'd either be doing the eyes maybe somebody else is doing the eyebrows or maybe a combination thereof uh and uh, you know the the duck bill would move um, and but only occasionally would you get a, uh, some sort of thing at the edge where it seemed a little more flexible, and uh, it, it never didn't look like somebody in a costume. It you just know, looked like somebody in a costume. I think I know how George Lucas could have saved Howard the Duck. He could have called up his old friend Jim Henson to save the day. Well, you know that's interesting because. That, you know, I'm I'm wondering why they didn't go that route, uh, because let's see, by then, hmm, had Yoda appeared in in uh, the second Star Wars movie, and oh, was that out? It must have been right about the time. Yeah, maybe just a, f- a handful of years before. Yeah. Um. Anyways, uh, you know that. That Yoda never seemed like somebody in a costume. Mm-mm. Anyways, they they could have. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I have to wonder how really 
into this George Lucas was aside uh, from financing it and putting his name on it. I just kind of think, you know, he stuck his friend in the directing job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think he just figured, well, there's going to be lots of explosions and special effects. It'll be great. And, <laughs> and then, you know, uh, that was about it. Um, but uh, now, uh, uh, Matt in, in the chat room says he really liked this movie. I remember seeing it when it came out, and I, I it just didn't hit me. Uh, of course, I was very well acquainted with the source material, which was a comic book. And I just want to talk about that for a few minutes. Oh, so, absolutely. I was hoping you would. Yeah, so Howard the Duck was an oddity that came out of Marvel Comics. As kind of a fluke, Steve Gerber, who was one of their weirder writers, uh, he he was making his living as best he could as a comic book writer. But he never I mean, he was too weird for comic books, frankly. And the stories he wrote were, were weird. So they tried to put him in comics where weirdness would work with him. And. So he was writing something called Man-Thing. <laughs> that was the name of it, Man-Thing. He was a swamp creature. Uh, DC had Swamp Thing. Marvel had Man-Thing. And there's this whole big joke about uh, a giant-sized comic book called Giant-Sized Man-Thing that everyone snickers whenever they hear Giant-Sized Man-Thing. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Howard the Duck was a character in... Uh, man thing and uh, how uh, Steve Gerber was weird and he thought it would be funny to have this talking duck and it was odd and it was kind of funny and uh, the last we saw of Howard the Duck was he was walking along the nexus of other worlds along with man thing and uh, he slipped and fell <laughs> and fell <laughs> fell off the nexus somewhere that was the last we saw of him. Hmm. And until, don't know who pushed it, probably Gerber himself. Uh, maybe, probably they got a lot of mail from readers of Man Thing and said, hey, that duck, I love him. At any rate, suddenly, Howard the Duck number one came out and Howard fell to earth. And as the tagline said at the top of his comic book, Trapped in a world he never made. They use that line in the movie towards the beginning. Uh, and uh, poor Howard was stuck on Earth uh, with a bunch of hairless apes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what it, what Gerber used this for was literally a, 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 a duck out of water situation where he could comment. This is what he loved to do. He loved to comment on the absurdities and foibles of society. And he found a lot to talk about when it came to society and humans and behavior. And he went for it. And Howard was a way he could satirize American life and people uh, with good effect. And it was smart. It was funny. It was terribly different, and it took comic book world by storm. And suddenly, the most valuable comic book around was Howard the Duck number one. Uh, And there was a frenzy to get that. But a year later, a year and a half, Gerber wasn't keeping up with deadlines. He was slipping behind. He pissed his editors off, and they fired him. And they got someone else to write Howard the Duck. And the someone else wasn't Steve Gerber. (laughs) And Howard disappeared as fast as he came on the scene. And the comic book was canceled. I think it lasted to maybe issue 23, something like that. They came back with a black and white uh, Howard the Duck magazine in hopes that they could turn adult readers on. And it was much more explicit because it was made for adults. And whereas the comic book always sort of never, I mean, there was Beverly and there was Howard and they were together. But 
and they were clearly cared about each other and there may have been something of a romance but never did they show them in any kind of sexual situation the comic book the magazine the black and white magazine went a step further and perhaps that was a problem it was certainly a problem in the movie where the only way they could figure out how to do it was to put them in silhouette so that Leah Thompson could kiss the puppet. And it was kind of creepy. There's no way around it. Mm -hmm. It just didn't make people feel comfortable. I, I didn't know what to make of it. It wasn't well done. And first of all, they I know what they were doing in the scene where Leah Thompson is going over his wallet. They needed terribly to get away from this feeling that this was a kid in a costume, which in many scenes, it was a kid in a costume. Uh, Other times it was a little person in the costume. At any rate, going through the wallet and we could see that, okay, well, this is, you know, somebody with credit cards. This is definitely an adult. Oh, and look, he has a cute little condom. Mm. So, yes, this is an adult. It's okay that they're going to have sex, but it just, you know, it didn't catch on fire. Let's put it that way. You know, Toppy, I have to wonder, there was a series on USA Network in the 90s, and I don't know if it was a comic book originally, but certainly whoever developed it must have been a fan of Howard the Duck. Are you familiar with a show that was called Duckman? He was a a private detective uh i mean i i know of it but i've never seen it um yeah it, it was quite interesting i'm sure that it ran for a few seasons um let's see here i'm just gonna put some of the art into the chat room for this show so yeah i, I it was, was like adult swim material right Right. Now, um, dialing it back to Howard the Duck and how they skirted appropriateness, because this movie was PG-13. I mean, they um, they, you know, wanted to appeal to people that thought it was cute. But at the same time, there was the suggestion that it might be slightly inappropriate. Now, um, point of fact, I was, oh, maybe 10 or 11 when this movie came out. So I don't think I saw it the first year it came out. It was probably after it was out on home video. But my folks were fairly conservative and they monitored what their children watched on television. And I will have to say that this is the first time I saw a nipple. It didn't belong to a human, but yeah. I got to see a nipple. <laughs> yeah. So that's another thing that was kind of weird. It's like, who's this movie for? Uh, and um, it just it, it just didn't work. Now, it, this, this could have been a great movie, of course. Let's just say, forget about the costume. It is. It was what it was. Uh, uh, but... If, if they had just stayed with making fun of American society, the, the closest thing to a villain in the comic books that this movie had was that lady who was trying to give Howard a job. Mm-hmm. That That's right out of the comic book. What I mean is, aside from the occasional farcical costume supervillain, what Howard the Duck was up against in the comic were weird people like that lady trying to get him a job and she you know she's like gonna stick this job down his throat whether he wanted it or not and uh it wasn't going to be a great well well we know what it turned out to be by the way i have to talk to you about that but (laughs) anyways uh that that is the kind of villain that steve gerrer had fun with in the comic book and if they had stayed with that it would have been a great movie, but they had to get it mixed up in something that would give them an excuse to do special effects, blah, blah, blah. And what a confusing mess that was. At any rate, <laughs> I wish they had just stuck to the source material and done a satire about the foibles of the United States and the way it's set up. And 
the way people have to live versus the way rich people, you know, mm-hmm. they they could have done so much with that, but um, they didn't. You okay, know, so I'll oh, go I, ahead. I was going to say, you know, until I watched Howard the Duck, I had no idea that straight people had bathhouses too. Okay, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> Uh, I don't remember this from first viewing, so it took me by surprise when I saw it the other day. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a bathhouse. Wait a minute. There's heterosexual people in here. What's going on? What happened to my world? I didn't know. I didn't know this was a thing. But I mean, it's like it's sort of a spa, but apparently... It's a combina- combination of a spa and, well, a, a, like a gay bathhouse. People are just having sex. I, Anyways, I, I didn't know that was a thing. I think the other name that they use as code for these places is a Swedish massage parlor. Okay. Well, anyways, it took me by surprise. <laughs> you know how much more funny that would have been if he had, if he just worked in a gay bathhouse? That oh, would have been funny. If that had been made, you know, like 10 years later, they might have done that. Yeah, that would have been funny as hell. Anyways, I don't have a hell of a lot else to say, but DJ, your take on it, uh, did did you like it? Oh, goodness, too. Somebody who was younger and wasn't aware of Howard the Duck being a comic series that was a satire, um, this was quite endearing to, you know, a 10-year-old boy. Because you've got explosions and you've got outer space and you've got animals. And, I mean, as I said before, Leah Thompson could have come close to being my first crush because she was emulating the pop stars of the time. But um, if you have the opportunity to, if you subscribe to any music services, any of our listeners here... See if you can track down a copy of the Howard the Duck soundtrack. It's actually fairly enjoyable. One of the people that wrote some of the original instrumental music on this, um, John Barry, I do believe his name was, is someone who's written music for the Star Wars films. And uh-huh. um, the soundtrack to Howard the Duck is very entertaining because it mixes together the pop music that's in the scenes with Leah Thompson, which by the way, folks, if you didn't know, she did her own singing in this film. This was such a mess as far as the planning and the um, switching of producer to director that the studio never made up their mind on who was going to dub her voice. So they just went with her own singing and, Point of fact, uh, something I was reading is that Leah Thompson actually has admitted that she kept Les Paul guitar that her character used in this film, and she still gets it out and plays it every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, Actually, you know, some of the music scenes were maybe one one of the best things about it. Um, It really... Okay, Steve Gerber satirized the human race. This movie just made humans look ugly and disgusting. Uh, What's up with everyone at that restaurant suddenly wanting to rip open Howard and eat him? Oh, yeah. I mean, ugh. And then there's there's hardly a human being in this movie... That's likable in any way. It's oh, uh, anyways. I, I, I really, I, I didn't remember that scene in the restaurant. They just wanted to eat him, <laughs> and you know, I mean, they, they were, they had a butcher knife right up to him before uh, the bad guy accidentally saved him so anyway whatever you know Uh, um, there there aren't a lot of moments where you can clearly tell that they were making fun of themselves but one of them was that diner scene because the building itself has had many incarnations you see the sign for the restaurant and it's like 
Cajun and sushi. And then you could see that there was another sign behind it. So it's it's kind of like all those Pizza Hut restaurants that went out of business. And, you know, now they're a greeting card store or something. Yeah, actually, there were I think the best gags in the movie were uh, signage and gags and uh, at the beginning, you know, I think they scored pretty well with a lot of the gags they were showing in Howard's apartment, like the movie posters. And, <laughs> you know, when we looked through the wallet and saw their their version of, uh, you know, a lot of those gags were, were funny. Um but uh, at any rate, uh, it is getting late. It is. So. And uh, why don't we talk about uh, movies that we'd say, if you liked Howard the Duck, you'd like blah da blah All right. So this is our snack tray. What else you might like? And, uh, you know, Howard the Duck is uh, an acquired taste. Certainly got a, a cult following in the years that have followed. And uh, a film that I would recommend if you enjoy things like Howard the Duck is a film from a few years later, and it actually stars um, someone who got their um, rise to fame in Tootsie with Dustin Hoffman. I'm talking about Terry Garr, and this is a 1992 adventure comedy, Mom and Dad Save the World. Now, uh, Terry Garr is in this along with that other loathsome person that played. Oh, my God, he's back in this movie. Yeah. Well, you know, he had to pay um, uh, court fees. And um, this is about an alien overlord plans to blow up the Earth. But first, he snatches and proposes to marry an Earthman's wife, which, of course, is Terry Garr's character. And, I mean, you know... Uh, for what it's worth, uh, I would probably um, spend a whole evening talking to get Terry Garr in a hotel if I was stuck there. There you go. All right. Um, well, I'm going to recommend, uh, I think, a movie that Howard the Duck tried to be and failed. This movie came out uh, two years earlier in 84. It is also very comic booky, very loaded with special effects, uh, very kooky and nutty and fun, which I think are all the things that Howard the Duck wanted to be, but wasn't. So if you liked Howard the Duck, you're going to love the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Mm. And it's a science fiction film starring Peter Weller, Alan Barkin, John Lithgow. Jeff Goldblum and Christopher Lloyd. How can you go wrong with that cast? And the plot is uh, about the efforts of a polymath, Dr. Buckaroo Banzai, a physicist, a neurosurgeon, a test pilot, and rock star, to save the world by defeating a band of interdimensional aliens called Red Electroids from Planet 10. (laughs) Okay, nutty, fun, and a good movie. Oh, and that was Buckaroo Banzai from yep. 84. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's what Howard the Duck wanted to be and should have been, could have been, maybe even better. But Buckaroo Banzai uh, successfully combines all of the things that Howard the Duck wanted to be and makes a good movie. There you go. Okay. Well, I hear the ice cream truck, and for those not in the know, that's Gertie's ride. So uh, we're going to go ahead and let you know what's coming up next. Toppy, if you'll grab that bag of coins there for me. Oh, yeah, I'll grab it. Yeah, here we go. Ew! <laughs> <laughs> what neighborhood do you live in? I don't know. Well, here we go. Oh, righty. Give me that crazy capsule. Okay, you're going to love this. I just opened it. Did you hear that? Uh, You crazy kids. It's going to be our uh, uh, last uh, episode of the year. Then we go on a little summer vacation. We'll be back at you next time next year. Well, I mean, September or whatever. But our last movie of the year is a darling little movie. And I 
chose it because we had the passing of Alan Arkin. Um, one of the greats, been in so many great movies, great actor. He can do anything. He's been terrifying villains, and he's been your funny every demon. Uh, and in this movie, he really, uh, well, he won an Academy Award for this, folks, uh, and deservedly so. It's Little Miss Sunshine from 2006. It's an American tragic comedy road film and the feature film directorial debut of the husband-wife team of Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris. Screenplay by first-time writer Michael Arndt. And what a nice little cast here. Greg Kinnear, Steve Carell, Tony Collette. Oh, God, I love her so much. Paul Dano, Abigail Breslin, and Alan Arkin. And uh, it's about this dysfunctional family that goes on the road to take their youngest to compete in a child beauty pageant. What fun. The high. Oh, this is a movie with a heart, but it is so damn funny. Uh, You're going to love it. Little Miss Sunshine next time. Uh, Catch it and then come back here and we'll talk about it. Alrighty, so um, you know, Toppy, it has been a pleasure, and uh, you know, it's been nice to escape the heat. And you know, the real reason that we take this break is because Gertie's got her summer fling with her girlfriends. They go to Niagara Falls and they walk down memory lane. So um, that, and uh, you know, us volunteers here in the old theater. Uh, we don't take too kindly to not having any air conditioning. So, um, you know, <laughs> take a little time off. Uh, yeah, the Marionette Theater. Uh, well, it's old, folks. Um, listen, uh, we really want to thank the people that were here live with us um, because it just uh, it's more fun doing it with you folks. And I'd like to thank uh, the ever mysterious Cronehaven for being here. Uh, Lamont Cranston from New York City was here tonight, and uh, our, our 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 big pal uh, Tommy Hash Browns was here, and uh, not to mention uh, Matt Burlingame from Chubb's Gone Wild. That little that I'm going to have to have a talk with him because I seriously thought he was stopping his podcast, and I believed it. And, <laughs> By the way, Matt Berlingame sent both of us this little this little fun pride package, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, that was awfully nice. That was awfully nice. And uh, and of course, he didn't stop his show. It was just a big old fan. And uh, he's still doing. It. Of course, he also does that naughty, naughty uh, big gay sex show. So. Uh, thanks for being here, Matt. Thanks, everyone. All right, Toppy. If you would, say goodnight in the ways of the old days of radio. All right. Good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to matineeminutia.com, click the YouTube icon for live video, enter Discord or chat. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Tweet us on Twitter at matineeminutia. Find our group on Facebook. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. 